Good morning to each of you this morning in the name of Jesus and blessings to each of us. As we're here in the presence of the Lord, I just was inspired again to think about the uh, leading of the Spirit and from Joe's devotions to the Sunday school lesson and then to the message we want to share this morning. Definitely all uh, tied together, one main thought. The question I'd like to begin in introducing this uh, message this morning is, um, how many of you would be comfortable to lead a person to Christ? I know of situations where someone has come upon an accident, where someone is pinned, cannot, they are not free, they're um, hemorrhaging, there's only a few minutes left to live, and that person has requested the person there with them to help them be saved. What would you do in a situation like that? Could you, as a Christian, know what to say and lead that person to Christ? I'm sure we would. But it's a question that you think about. And not only that this morning, but also in relation to our own lives, there's this question of what it means to be born again. I titled the message, We Must Be Born Again. Turn with me to John chapter 3. These truths that we're going to share this morning are very simple truths, but very important truths, very um, profound truths that Jesus taught. It's the base, the basics, you could say, of salvation, and yet it's a part of our ongoing experience as a child of God that we need to know and we need to understand. We, we must not forget these, these things. John chapter 3 and verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, which is referring to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Another question that comes up, or should come up in relation to a subject like this is, what is different in your life or my life since I met Jesus, since I met Christ, what is different? And what is it then, of course, you know, what does it mean to be born again? And what difference has that made? And we could go back and say, at this certain time in my life, I found Christ. I became a Christian. I was born again. And that's, that's good. But the larger question probably today is, are you born again today? You know, we could say it's, it was back there at a certain time that I chose to accept Christ as my Savior and found salvation. But is that an ongoing experience? Is that still valid today? Or like the Sunday School lesson, have the rocks, the thorns, you know, and the hard soil in our hearts drowned out the word that we have become unfruitful. I'd like to read this, some of this passage, and then, and then we'd like to do basically an expository of these verses and see what the Scripture tells us, teaches us about what it means to be born again. We must be born again, Jesus said. Verse 1, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, or teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, 
For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest, there, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for the teaching of this scripture. And we thank you this morning that you have made provision for us to be born again, to have our sins forgiven, to know you as our true, as the true and only God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that your Holy Spirit would lead the, these thoughts today to the, uh, the good of our own souls and the evaluation of our own condition of heart before you. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, the setting of this, this account, very simple. Nicodemus a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council that worked out of the temple complex, a Pharisee of high rank, very wealthy. He, he was one of the a part of the religious elite of his day. He came, it says, by night. He was careful in his um, reputation, not a firm believer as yet, probably. Um, afraid of his of ruining his reputation, and yet at the same time 
I think, endeavoring to seek truth. It is interesting that, um, G- that Nicodemus came to Jesus, it seems, looking for more information. You know, he, he comes to Jesus by night in verse 2, and his, he says, he makes a statement first. He doesn't ask a question. He makes a statement, says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Okay, that, that was his preamble. That was his, the prelude to what he was going to say next. We don't know what his next statement or question would have been. Because um, Jesus just picked it up right from that point and drove right for the heart, the need of the heart in that man. I find that interesting. And um, he was a man that should have known, could have known. So we're not really sure what his questions would have been that night. He had become convinced, it seems, through, we could say, logical thinking that Jesus had a special connection with God. Now, the logical thinking was, he says, no man can do these miracles except God be with him. So you must be a, a pretty special rabbi. Because you have a connection with God. Maybe he was thinking back of Elijah or Elisha or, you know, the Old Testament prophets. You know, what they were able to do. So he says, you, you know, he didn't say he was the Christ. He didn't say he was the Messiah. He said, you're a rabbi that has a connection with God because you're doing miracles that nobody else can do. Now, um, Jesus just picks up this conversation, like I said before, and it's very interesting because Jesus knew his real, his searching heart, and he knew the questions that this man had, even without them being audibly expressed. And so Jesus just picks it up from there, and in verse 3 he says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, in other words, truly, truly. In other words, this is, this is an absolute truth. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus just kind of ripped open, you know, the doors to this man's heart and says, okay, if you're saying that I have a connection with God because I can do all these great miracles, I'm going to tell you that that belief is not enough and you're going to have to be born again. And that's where Jesus took that conversation immediately. I think, you know, and it's interesting, we talked about that in our Sunday School lesson some, you know, how that Jesus took people from where they were in their whether it's the common folk there on the hillsides above the lake there where Jesus was teaching them or the religious elite like Nicodemus there who had some understanding, should have had more understanding and just picked it up right where they were. And and Jesus just opened the door and this man was standing there as it were like bare and naked spiritually before Christ because Jesus went zeroed right into the heart. He said, you're going to be born again. Now, what does the scripture teach us about the new birth? We look at this passage. Well, first of all, all the things that are included in the new birth, I would like to say this, to clarify this. All the things that we're going to be talking about that are included in the new birth are also necessary for every Christian to live in victory. So we can say, well, it's part of an initial experience, a surrender to Jesus Christ, and it is, but it's also part of an ongoing experience. We we are born again, but we must stay born again, as it were. We, we are saved and being saved, as you've heard me say multiple times over the years. 
saved and being saved. It's it's a it's a progression. It's a it's a movement. It's a journey of life, and of course that involves sanctification and all those things. But and so it's important to understand this. We can't just sit here this morning and say, "Well, I was born again back in such and such a day. I surrendered my life to Jesus." For me, I think it was May 1977 or 1976, I believe. Uh, and you can say, well, you know, there was a change in my life there. But what about now? Is the new birth still a reality in my life today? That's what we have to, the question we have to answer. But now, what does the, teach, the scriptures teach us about the new birth? First of all, and we already hinted at this in verse 2. And that is that a mere acceptance of Jesus as a great teacher through logical thinking, will never save anyone. And he says, you know, we know that thou art a teacher come from God before. No man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. A very logical conclusion. You can say it's practically a scientific conclusion. You know, here was the evidence because of what they saw happening, and they couldn't explain it except by a miracle, and therefore, obviously, there was supernatural power involved here. So the logical conclusion was, you're a great teacher, you're a great rabbi, you have, you have to have a connection with God because of, of what you're doing. Now, but it's interesting that that in itself, and, when, and Jesus' response to that clearly shows that that was not enough. That that was empty, really, in a lot of ways. In fact, it almost made the man more accountable because of this. Jesus said, you know, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. And that's really kind of what Nicodemus could have been saying here. It was Lord, Lord. You're a great, you're a great Jesus. You're a great Lord. And Jesus said, you need to be born again. That kind of a profession, that kind of an acknowledgement, the acceptance of, of who Jesus was from a logical perspective is not enough. Another place in Luke 6, 46, it says there, Jesus one time says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So obviously that's not enough. And I would say to, to this morning that, that there are a lot of different kinds of Christians in quotes. And if you would use this analogy with Nicodemus, it would be that he would said he's a pretty learned man. He was a teacher, probably. He was a rabbi himself, Pharisee, held the law, and uh, Jesus called him a, a master in Israel. And he he would have had, should have had that knowledge, should have had that understanding. And yet, he was not saved. There are intellectual Christians. I don't know if you've ever met some. I've met met them already. They can quote scripture and walk circles around you, make you feel very intimidated. And they can argue and they can debate and they can give you all the, explain all the complexities of doctrine. But I don't think they're born again because of what you see in their life. That's like Nicodemus. He had the knowledge. If we put it in today's terms, I would say Nicodemus was an intellectual Christian. He had it in his head, but it had not touched his heart. Jesus, that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. 
Remember a message I heard years ago? Title of the message was Missing, Missing Heaven by 18 Inches. I think some of you probably heard me heard of that already, but the distance between your head and your heart. You have it up here, but you don't have it here. Jesus said, you, you need to be born again. And he would say the same to us. Let's not be deceived into thinking that because we have a lot of Bible knowledge, you know, we have a good understanding of a lot of Bible doctrine, you know, we, we, we have, you know, we, we can explain things and we know things. If it's not in our heart, we're not saved. There are emotional Christians. And Brother Al referred to that in our adult Sunday school lesson. That quote from Spurgeon. Emotional Christians who come to a church service, and this can be close to us too, come to a church service and, you know, and the whole atmosphere and the singing of the hymns and the prayers and the reading of the scripture can touch our hearts and, you know, even can at times bring us to tears. When we go away from here, it's like it was just our emotions. We were there's a lot of Christians this morning in a lot of places that are emotional Christians. They go to a church service Sunday morning to be entertained. And they leave feeling really good. But it's feeling. Unless we get past that, understand that that in itself will not change the heart. Emotions are good. A true worship service should affect our emotions. But it's not going to start there. It's going to start in here. Because of a relationship with Christ. There's also professing Christians. We use that term sometimes. It's like ticking the box on a form. You know, like we get these census forms. You know, you have to tick the boxes and what you do, who you are, whatever, and all these those questions. Some people view Christianity that way. It's it's ticking the box. You know, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not this religion, not that religion, I'm I'm Christian, so you know, sometimes we use the word nominal Christian. That simply means in name only. Because they're not something else, they would say they're a Christian. But the question is, we must be born again. Are we truly born again? Now, I don't want to sow any seeds of, of, of doubt here, unnecessary doubt. So I'm not looking at it from that perspective this morning. But I think it's important for us to... to to take an honest look at, our, at ourselves. And what does it mean to be born again to us personally? I know situations where people have sat on church benches, attended church, been a part of a church, been a church member for years until they were born again. Truly born again. And again, I'm not trying to cast doubt or you know unnecessary doubt, but it is something that we need to, because Jesus said, Unless we're born again, we are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's that black and white. It's that firm. And on that day, he will be able to sort that out very clearly. Those who simply said, Lord, Lord, and those who actually followed and obeyed him. Now, the second thing is here, being a good moral upright person of itself can never save us. Nicodemus would have met that requirement, I believe. He was a good, upright man, well-respected in Israel, probably, in his day. He was a teacher in Israel, a master in Israel, Jesus said. 
but that wasn't going to save him. Most people who put off making a decision for Christ are in their hearts justifying themselves. That's where I was. As a 14, 15-year-old, you know, I could justify myself in saying that I know that maybe some of my friends who made a profession as a Christian weren't that great and weren't that perfect either. I was probably as good as they were. You know, and Nicodemus could have, could have held that position. He, he was a Pharisee. He lived the law. He was careful and to every minute detail. That was not enough. She said, you need to be born again. And sometimes, you know, we can illustrate it this way. And say, uh, here's what it means to belong to Christ. Here's what it means to belong. Um, well, let's just say to the devil. In between there is a line that is fixed. Now, a person can say, well, yes, I realize that maybe I've never been, you know, born again or whatever, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I, I'm up here. You know, I'm a good person. I'm not like down here where people live in the dregs of sin and the debauchery and the terrible life of some people. You know, I'm a good person. And maybe I know some of my friends who are, you know, would make a profession and say they're Christians, you know, but, you know, they're not, there's not much difference between us. I'm pretty good. The fact is, and what Jesus would have said here in relation to Nicodemus was, Nicodemus, you're still below the line. You're still not born again. And we're going to talk about this line in a few minutes and how that works. But in itself, just being that upright, moral good, morally good person is not enough. We can say, oh, I'm not that bad. I know some supposed Christians that act worse than I do. I'm a pretty good person. But Jesus said to us, says to us, as well as Nicodemus, we need to be born again. Now, the new birth is absolutely necessary for anyone to be saved. Of course, that comes out very clearly in this scripture. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so that, that is very clear. Jesus also said in another place, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so that, that is an important part of this teaching. Now also the new birth requires an act of faith. We have that in verse, drop down to verse 15. In verse 14 he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so we have that, that part of the, uh, the act of faith. And here Jesus used the illustration of Moses in the wilderness lifting up that serpent because they were bitten by the, uh, the serpent, typifying the, uh, the serpent and the, the uh, poison, the toxins of sin flowing through their veins, and they were going to die unless there was an outside help given to them and you remember how God told Moses to make that brazen serpent, put it on a pole, and everyone that looked toward that brazen serpent would live. 
But that was an act of faith. They could have said, well, what does that have to do with this? You know, the mysterious part of that. But Jesus, but that, that's what they were told. And they, the Bible says everyone that looked at that serpent lived. And, and, and here we have that, that same picture of Christ saying that I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. I'm going to die for the sins of humanity and everyone that looketh. Well, he says, believeth. But the, idea, the thought of it is, the word believeth there is very similar to the word looketh. It's a, it's a look of faith. And, uh, <clears throat> and A.W. Tozer said, faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. And so we think about the Christ being lifted up and crucified um, like the serpent lifted up. Therefore, there was that redemption. There was that, that salvation. And so the new birth requires an act of faith. That's why in the, in the experience of the new birth, we need to confess who Jesus is in relation to salvation. Now, another thing to think about is that the new birth is mysterious to those who haven't experienced it. Notice verse 8 here. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And Jesus here is alluding to the mysterious part of the new birth. And as we have experienced that, and I, I remember you know, that time in my own life where I understood what was needed, and in my stubbornness I held out for a long time, until I finally was willing to surrender my heart to Christ. But when that transaction happened, I don't know really exactly what happened. But I know something happened. And, and that's what Jesus here is saying. You know, the, it's like the wind. It comes and it goes. And you don't really know. You don't really see it. You only see the effects of it. I see that tree out there moving. Because I know the wind is blowing on it. There's no other, unless it be an earthquake, there's no other reason for that tree to, to shake like that and move it with the wind. But I don't see the wind. But we see the effects of it. I was on the phone the other night with Dwayne, our son in Texas. Um, working through some IT things. But anyway, he, he was, there was a, a tornado, a large tornado coming through their area. And so we were kind of talking about this. Therefore, while he said the winds were between 80 and 90 miles an hour, um, he was keeping track of it on his storm watch, but it, it missed their area. But um, it's, it, you know, the wind, it comes and it goes, and you can see the effects of it. And that's why Jesus said it's, it is mysterious. Now, uh, <clears throat> with this mysterious part of it, in relation to the new birth, there is a transaction that is made. There's a transaction that is made. There is a change of ownership. When we move from belonging to the devil and, and the bondage of sin to belonging to, to Christ, there is a change of ownership. And so while there's time you can say, well, that person is a really good person, a good moral person, and I know people like that, I, I work with people like that, that I say they're, they're good moral people, but they would not profess Christianity. They're not born again. So they may be right up here, but they're still not saved because that transaction has not happened in relation to the new birth. 
And, and so let's never deceive ourselves in that and think, well, just because I'm a good person, that, that's enough. So there has to be a change of, of ownership. And, and with that, there's going to be a change of heart. There's going to be a change of desires. That's why Ephesians 2 says that we become, we are the workmanship of Christ. And we are that new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's a part of this transaction that takes place in relation to the new birth. It's not a reformation of the person. Sometimes, you know, and I was there, you know, as a young person, you know, I can do better. I'll just, you know, buckle down and I'll just do better. But, you know, you can't because the, 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 the power of sin is still at work in, in your life. And, yeah, you can do better for a couple of hours, a couple of days, but, you know, you fall back into, the, you know, the same old sins you were in before. It's not a reformation. It's a transformation. It, it, it's a change. It's a new creation. And so this is just not trying to do better with what strength or determination we can muster. If you want some, some interesting reading sometime, read about the Welsh revivals in about 1904. Very, very interesting. And I just was reading about it last evening and learned some new things that I hadn't known before about the Welsh revival. It was a miner that got converted. Miner, he was a miner and a blacksmith who worked at the mines in, in the Welsh area uh, in Scotland. And, and he started having some services after he got converted. Until that was done, they estimate there was over 100,000 conversions in a little over a year's time in that area. It, the impact was so great the bars were emptied. They had to close up the saloons because there was no patrons. They went out of business. The judges said that their courtrooms were empty. The um, birth rate of Ill illegitimate children dropped by 44%. It did not only stay over in Europe. It came to America. This is what I found interesting. I didn't know this before. But there was, in Portland, Portland, Oregon, there was, and across some of the, the uh, western states here, there was 255, I believe it was, uh, department stores or uh, grocery stores that signed an agreement that they would close from 11 o'clock till 2 o'clock in the afternoon for three hours so that their employees and the patrons of their stores could attend prayer time. Think about that. Why? Because people got born again. The effect of all of that, you know, I'm not going to sit in judgment of all that, the long-term effect of that, but I'm just saying that was an effect that happened when people sincerely met God and changed. And the, the miners... There, and I think you've heard me refer to this maybe one sometime before, but the mules that they used in those mines had to be retrained to understand the commands of the miners because their language, they usually use profanity to, con to call out the commands to the mules and guide them through the mine shafts and stuff. And because these men became Christians, they were converted, they had a new language because they didn't use profanity anymore. 
They had to retrain the mules to the new commands. New earth. Change. Change of ownership, change of heart, change of desires, change of language. Born again. The sixth one is, there would be a continued walk toward light and truth. John 3.21, he that, right here, I think it's the last verse I read, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they were wrought in God. Why do people stall and don't want to come to, to the point of the new birth? Why do we pull back? Why do we hesitate? Why do we not want to make that decision for Christ? A big part of it is that we don't want to come to the light, that the sinfulness of our own hearts are manifest. Why do we stumble at times in our Christian life? You know, without a, a seeming like a sense of direction, you know, and just kind of stumble from one failure to another and just don't really have the spiritual traction we should have to move forward with God. Usually it's because we're, we're fighting the light. We're fighting the light. He that doeth truth, if we're willing to do the truth, we're going to come to the light. And the reason we need light is because we need that light of God to shine within our hearts and to show us exactly who we are and exactly what we are. And only when we become that honest before God and that willing to have the light shining within our hearts, whether it's through the confession or whatever it is, confession of sin, we're never going to find forgiveness. We're never going to find, find that new birth experience. So brothers and sisters, friends, this morning, let's be sure that we are walking toward the light. That's a growing experience from the time we became a Christian Moving forward, and if you're here this morning and are not a Christian, you need to face the light and accept the light of truth as it relates to who we really are before God. Lastly, how can a person be born again? There will always be an acknowledgement of Christ as Savior. Verse um, 15 that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In 1 John 1, 9, that familiar verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 5, it speaks of being born of water and of the Spirit. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. There will be Holy Spirit baptism, and he will also move within. Holy Spirit will move within the heart to cleanse that heart and to take possession of that heart. There will also be water baptism, symbolizing the cleansing and sanctification of the body as well. That's why in um, Romans 12, 1, we are to present our bodies that living sacrifice, sanctified for his service and not to serve ourselves any longer. So we must be ready to come and to face the light that God's 
Light of truth will expose our hearts. This will always include a confession and an acknowledgement that we are just as sinful as God says we are. And that's what really holds us back so many times in our lives. We don't want to admit that we are as sinful as God says we are. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. So this is a transformation from the inside out. I'd like to just summarize this a little bit before we, before we move further. In summary, in relation to what it means to be born again and what it, what it takes to be born again, I acknowledge that I'm a lost sinner and need Christ's salvation. I believe that Christ died and rose again so that I can be forgiven. I repent of all my sin and ask for Christ's forgiveness and also request and ask for the Holy Spirit to live within my heart. That point of decision in prayer to God in the sincerity of heart will bring about this transaction. We move from ownership and belonging to sin and the devil to belonging to Jesus Christ. And that indwelling Holy Spirit change within will be evident immediately. Immediately. It's a transaction. It's a choice and a transaction altogether. In closing, how do we know if we are born again? When we think about this absolute necessity, when Jesus said, you must be born again, verse 7, you think about the absolute necessity that Jesus declares, we all this morning here want to know whether we're born again. Look at a few things here in closing. First of all, faith in Christ's provision for salvation. We must continue to walk in the Spirit, to walk with Christ each day of our lives. To have that faith in Christ's provision and not go back to this thing of good works and somehow if I can just do right or measure up to a certain way or make sure I don't get in trouble with the church or you know, or my brothers or sisters in the Lord or whatever, but somehow use that as just a way to somehow guide me and yet not have that continual walk with Christ, then it becomes just an external thing and not from within. We want the blessing of our brothers and sisters on our lives, but because of who we are from the inside out, you see. And with that, of course, is like Jesus, or the book of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. We stand in Christ because of his mercy and forgiveness, not because of works of righteousness which we have done, the scripture says. That's not how we're saved. But because of the work of Christ within us, it will produce works of righteousness, and we will respond. It takes us to the second one, and that is demonstrate indwelling Holy Spirit power, the fruits of the Spirit. If, we're, as a, if we are, as a Christian this morning are just Constantly struggling with, say, our our language that, that we're tempted to use, bad language, or anger, or bad attitudes, hard to get along with, whatever all whatever you can name. If that's just a constant battle with us, I think we have to go back and keep it simple, but go back to the foot of the cross and say, Am I really born again? Why am I acting like this? You say, well, can you be born, you know, third time, fourth time? I'm not, good, I'm not trying to say that necessarily. 
But I'm just saying if we're not keeping in that same journey toward light and truth that it takes to, to begin this journey, then we have to question what our relationship is like with Christ and whether we have allowed him to sanctify us the way we need to. Right with that, the third one is love for our fellow men. A truly converted person, and you maybe remember this yourself, in, in that work of salvation, the new birth. But, you know, you don't have to tell a, a new Christian now you need to love other people. It just, it's born within us. You know, there's some things we learn, some things we grow in, but there's a lot of things in the new birth that we are born into. And I can just remember that feeling, you know, of just like the whole world had was uh, was looked different and, you know, my relationship with others, you just, you just love everyone because there's just, there's just a love within and that radiance comes out. But can we keep that? Or is that just a one-time experience? Again, we come back to the mercy and the grace of Christ in our life and the mercy and grace that we also then extend to others. So love for fellow men, I believe, is one of the tests in relation to the new birth. Another is a love for truth. You can say a love for the scriptures, but a love for the truth. You know, and not this thing of turning away or living, you know, uh, living a hypocritical life and or a double life or, you know, somehow, you know, the, the mentality that I'm just going to do enough to get by. No, that's not, that's not what Christ is looking for. He, he wants that committed life, you know, a love for the truth, to pick up the scriptures and to read the scriptures and to study the scriptures and to know what Christ wants of us. And, um, you know, we can refer to each other as fellow seekers of truth. That's really what it means to be a Christian. And being born again, we're seeking truth. Not what I want for myself in a selfish way, but what God wants for me. Also, there's going to be the habitual, the habitual turning away from sin in the world. It was said of Job, and we recently studied this in our Sunday School lesson, that he eschewed evil. And that means he habitually turned away from it. And that is, I think, one of the marks of a born-again person. To say we've, we've never sinned in this or we never fail in this. But you know, there's that habitual turning away from evil and the world and sin. And not allowing that to, uh, to draw us in. Also, there's obedience to the commands of Christ. In other words, submission. This is why we need to be, cons- we need to be concerned when we feel, you know, unsubmissive attitudes welling up inside of us inside of our hearts in relation to whatever it is. But that unsubmissive attitude, that pushing back against authority, whatever it is, you know, when that starts to happen, we need, we need to deal with that. The whole political thing right now, you know, especially thinking about Canada, and, you know, there's a lot of polarization. There's a lot of, you know, things said about, you know, people in, in power and leadership and all of that. And I, I just, I struggle with that. I, I admit that, you know what I mean? To have a, a submissive attitude toward the leaders of our country. But, you know, because it's a seed that can grow. And, and if I allow it to grow, it's going to develop into other areas of my life of unsub, uh, lack of submission. So I just use that as an illustration. But o- obedience to the commands of Christ, that kind of submission. 
Also, lastly, to imitate Christ in daily life. What does it mean to be a Christian? They were first called Christians at Antioch, right? And it basically means little Christ. It was a nickname, probably, like some other nicknames that we still live with. It was a nickname, but but it was an identity because of when they saw these people and the way these people acted, they said, well, these are like that Christ. The followers of Christ, the followers of his way, to imitate Christ in daily life. That's our call as a born-again Christian because Christ resides within through his Holy Spirit. So when people see us, they're going to think about Christ. And so to imitate Christ in daily life is an ongoing challenge for each of us every day of our lives. Second uh, Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, if we are in Christ this morning by virtue of the new birth, any man be in Christ. He is a new creature, a new creation. Now listen, old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. All things are become new. May God bless us this morning. I'm glad for the new birth. Well, I'm glad for what happened back there when I was a teenager and surrendered to Christ. I'm glad I'm not back there in my Christian walk. I'm glad I'm here. Have I stumbled? Have you stumbled? Have we fallen at times? Yes. God has been gracious. We can continue moving forward, seeking truth, seeking light, and then finding that submission in our hearts to follow him, imitate him in our lives. One of the verses, or the last verse of the one song we sang this morning, I thought was very interesting. It says, Through all eternity to thee, a joyful song I'll raise, but O oh, eternity is far too short to utter all thy praise. Let's rejoice. Let's continue, brothers and sisters, in the reality of the new birth and what it means to be in Christ. It is such a blessing. Let's kneel to pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you sent Christ to come into the world of sin and wickedness to minister to the needs of many and showing your love and your compassion, your mercy. You did not come to condemn the world, but you came to save the world through Christ. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for the new birth. We don't understand it. But we, Father, we, we know that we can experience it, and many of us have experienced it. And know its power, know its um, the illumination that it gives to us. And Father, we just pray today that each of us we could be continuing, continuing to walk in its power and in your presence with your indwelling spirit within. And we pray that we might be ministers of this great truth, this gospel, to uh, reach out to the lives of others, others who do not yet know and have not experienced this, to help them also to Come to a place of, of contrition and repentance and allowing your Holy Spirit to change their life. And so, Father, we just pray that we might continue to, um, to preach and to um, exemplify this re- reconciliation.
to the world. We just pray that you would bless each of us. You know the struggles and the battles that each of us face in life. May we keep our faces turned toward the truth, toward the light, as you continue to lead us each step of the way. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.